Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Christian Berg. Welcome back to another episode of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. I'm editor Christian Berg, and as always, we are thrilled that you've taken some time to join us today for the latest and greatest bow hunting information. Man, I am excited today because it's the 13th of August, and that means it's coming into the greatest time of year to be a bow hunter. The guys are hunting antelope now as we speak out west, and elk and mule deer will be falling here in a couple weeks, and before we know it, it'll be whitetail season, so... This is the time of the year that things always kind of start dragging for me because I can't wait to get out in the field and unfortunately I've got some time to wait but at least I get to pass the time by talking hunting for a living and that's what we're going to be doing today is talking whitetails and preseason preparation with one of the finest whitetail hunters that I know and that is none other than Hoyt Pro Staffer and uh, Pro Shooter John Dudley. Uh, currently of Wisconsin slash Iowa, John, so that's not a bad combination if you like hunting deer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, John, it's it's good to have you on Bow Hunting Radio. For folks who read the magazine regularly, they probably recognize your name. You've done a couple good technical articles for us recently, and we've also had you doing a video series on bowhuntingmag.com called On Target with Peterson's Bowhunting. You've had some great shooting tips, and you've been doing a lot to help people shoot better. And today you're going to help folks put all that practice into action in the field by tagging a nice whitetail. I know you've had uh, a lot of success over the last few years on a very small property, uh, the place where you were living in Wisconsin basically was about 10 acres, I think, that you had next to your house. And um, you were able to put the put the kibosh on some whoppers with uh, a little bit of a system that you worked out, right? Yeah, that's for sure. I think uh, I think if 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 you have your own property and you, I guess you take a few simple steps and take note of kind of what your neighbors are doing and capitalize on what they're not doing, uh, then yeah, you can definitely be successful that way. And, uh, I'm going to miss that house. I, it's, it was a, a knockout spot. I mean, it was a small piece of property, but I mean, I was able to, to take, uh, you know, three, three Pope and Young's, uh, off there in three consecutive years and actually only hunted like nine or 10 days for those three bucks. Well, you know, I think that's awesome. You know, congratulations on that. And the other thing I think that is awesome is that 10 acres is, you know, I think 10 acres is something that not only can we all get our minds around, but we can all relate to that because, you know, if you've got four or 500 acre piece of private ground that you own or that you have access to and free reign to manage, that's great. I mean, we'd all love to have that, but that's not reality for, you know, probably the average reader. Of Peterson's yeah, abs, abs, well, the average person, average hunter, I would say not even just a reader. I mean, it's it's a substantial investment to 
to have to have that, you know, unless you're in the right family, it's just not likely to be honest with you. And, uh, I don't know. I think, I think the majority of the people have a couple acres, but you know, I've, I've always said, don't be discouraged by that because a couple acres in the right spot is better than 300 in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So yeah, give me a little rundown. Uh, tell me a little bit about the lay of that Wisconsin property and, uh, kind of how that fell in relation to your neighbors and what you were able to do to, uh, you know, find success on a, a postage stamp piece of hunting ground. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I mean, it's it was it was just basic Midwestern uh, property. I mean, I had uh, my 10 acres, I mean, uh, let's see, two, two acres was my house and my yard, and then actually right bordering my yard, there was three acres of, you know, more of field. So I always planted that three acres in some type of a food source. Um, but then on my timber part, which actually was kind of a hill that swept up behind my house, um, the one thing that really stood out was in my particular area, the soil was pretty sandy. So we didn't have a lot of water. It was probably three quarters of a mile to a water source from my property. So, um, two of the bucks I shot, I shot actually, um, within 10 yards of like, you know, a a water tank that actually just sunk into the ground. And, and, uh, you know, for like, I think it's like nine 97, you can go to Walmart and buy a little green kiddie pool, bury that thing flush with the ground. And, uh, you know, just take some man labor or, uh, I had a Yamaha Rhino to help me, but, you know, bringing in fresh water every couple, you know, couple times a week and you know and that was that was really helpful for you know for two of the bucks during during the opener when it was really really hot but so that's actually that's actually what you used a ten dollar kiddie pool yeah 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 well the first year i was i used a ten dollar kiddie pool and then the next year i upgraded to a rubbermaid so i kind of gave them you know a little bit more of a of a primo item to you, drink out you, of. You went so. like all out for the fifty dollar <laughs> item as opposed to the ten dollar item. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which that one I think I got at Farm and Barn or whatever. So, uh, but you know, and if you do put in water sources, which you know, if you have a small piece of property and and there's not water close by, you know, that kind of relates back to what I said. Just take an inventory of what whitetails need. You know, they need cover they need food they need water and and they need low pressure i mean the, that's that's the type of things that a whitetail is gonna need and you know if if you look at those four things figure out what is lacking from the neighboring properties and try to capitalize on that you know if if all your neighbors are just doing a good job of putting a ton of food there then then, you know, maybe you need to do something a little different with your property to where you have a lot better cover, you know, where maybe you're, maybe you're planting, you know, native grasses or, uh, you know, some type of, you know, thick, thick timber. If, if you have thick timber, maybe you need to drop some treetops down and, you know, really provide more of a bedding area. So, you know, for me, I always, uh, would ask all my neighbors what they're planting for food plots and, 
whatever they weren't planting, that's what I would put in my three acres because, you know, deer like variety. It's just like us. If we go to a, if we go to a buffet, you know, we're not going to, well, I mean, I'll spend a lot of time at the carvery getting some prime rib or something, but I'm definitely going to go get some roughage and get some dessert too. So, I mean, if you, if you're not planting the exact same thing as all your neighbors, then at least you have something different. And at some point of the year, the deer are going to prefer that food source that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's great advice, John. You know, one of the um, articles that we just ran in the magazine was uh, the most recent whitetails column uh, by Bob Humphrey. And the headline on that one was called Hunt the Limiting Factor. And it's exactly what you just talked about is what Bob discussed, which is, you know, deer need food, uh, cover, uh, water, and basically, you figure out what's in shortest supply in the area where you hunt, and you focus your efforts on that. Because if you're in an area with a ton of food, you know, if you're in an, if you're in a woodlot with 200 oak trees and they're all dropping acorns, you got a basically a one half percent chance of picking the right tree. <laughs> you know, yeah. but if there's only one water source in the area, or if there's very limited uh, security cover, you know, you're probably much better off hunting the edge of that security cover or targeting that water source, particularly, like you say, early in the season on a, on a hot day. So let me ask you this, you know, you identified obviously water as a limiting factor and put those uh, water sources in. How, 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 you know, early before the season did you feel that you needed to get that in there to kind of condition the deer to using it and then how often did you actually have to truck water in to keep those things uh, supplied well i mean you're mainly talking during the during the hottest part of the summer months i mean from you know from july and you know until well it really depends some some people start getting rain in september but you know august and september are normally fairly dry in wisconsin and those were the times where I would have that water there. Now, if we were getting steady rains, it wouldn't work. It's just like, you know, if they get a pound in rain, you know, two days from now out in Montana, sitting in a water hole isn't probably going to be near as productive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like last year, it was extremely dry. I mean, my air conditioner ran every day of the month in September, which is, you know, pretty much unheard of. And, uh, the buck that I shot, um, he actually was the fourth buck to drink out of the water tank. So, uh, I mean, the whole, literally the whole... You mean just the day know, that you shot him? W- yeah, within within the within the last 30 minutes of light. I mean, there was four, four different bucks came, drank water, and then they, you know, they pretty much came through my timber, drank water, and then just went about their business. So they almost made that water source a part of their, you know, their staging routine. And, you know, I'm sure most of us know, you know, the bigger bucks, they do like to stage up inside that timber. And, you know, I think these guys made that water stop part of their little staging routine because it was probably 30 yards in set from, from, from my food, from my food plot. So. Sure. And and the other thing too is, you know, like people, you know, deer are sort of inherently lazy. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all are to a certain degree. If if you've got a prime food source where you know you can get supper every night 
and you know the nearest food water is three quarters of a mile away like you said and then all of a sudden another water source shows up 30 yards from from the banquet table um, yeah you know you're gonna start hitting that and you know it just is a lot easier and you know we'd all do the same thing in our own lives you know if there's two ways to go to work and one you know is choked with traffic and the other one's clear you know we're going to take the easier road so you know it makes a lot of sense but what about beyond just putting the water there john i mean how did you pick exactly where to put the water and locate your stand so that you know you wouldn't get busted when the deer are coming to the water or from the water that sort of thing well the my stand was actually um on the highest the highest part of my property you know like i said i was kind of on a rectangle for my property and the top of the rock uh, rectangle would have been at the top of my hill and that was as deep in the timber as i could get so that's kind of where my stand was and it was it was kind of right along the ridge of a of a hill so i mean it was a natural travel corridor anyway but what was what was interesting at least with that particular buck i actually nicknamed him big boy because he was i've got about four years of pictures of that deer um he was mr predictable i mean we were seeing him in neighboring bean fields all the time and and even in my last year i planted red clover he was in my clover quite heavily but as soon as his velvet came off i mean he completely went nocturnal i mean it went from us seeing him twice a day to we never seen him i think from like october or august 17th was like the last picture i got of him or the last sighting we had of him and so, it kind of so, makes so, so he didn't just stop moving during the day he stopped coming in front of your camera period yeah yeah he was i mean he was flat out you know just gone and i figured well he's he shed his velvet and he moved into his own territory, which obviously wasn't around. And I was getting a little bit discouraged because when we started creeping towards that September mark, you know, we I think we opened around the 18th. Well, around the 7th, I still wasn't getting any pictures, and I actually just kind of drove around to check one of my stands, which is the stand at the top of the hill. And I went and looked, and I thought, you know, you haven't filled this water in like three weeks. And so I cleaned the the water tank out, put fresh water in it, and put a camera there. And literally within two days, there was Big Boy coming to the water. So I'm like, you know, I just kept putting in fresh water. They were actually drinking, you know, the deer in my area. I think I was maybe going through about 10 gallons every couple days. I mean, so they were were definitely using it. And, uh, you know, and then... The actually the first two days of season, I hunted down on my food source, uh, just because I think that's you know what you naturally do. And then on that third day, I thought you know I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go sit the sit up there by the water, and you know I actually put my water tank on the most predominant upwind side of my tree stand. You know that's what's nice. You pick a tree that you that you think you're gonna have a favorable wind, and then you can you know you put the water where the wind's going to be in your favor most of the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I went up there and sure enough, you know, within, within an hour, hour and a half, all of a sudden here's one of the, one of the bucks I'd seen in the summer. And I thought, holy cow, you know, and then it was like, he left and then 10 minutes, here comes another and another. And 
and I was actually watching one eating acorns, which that's another thing. I mean, the acorns had fallen, so that's like, you know, the toughest thing any hunter can can deal with is when the acorns start hitting the ground because then you're just, you know, your food plots are empty and you just don't see the deer. But I was watching a buck eating some acorns and stuff, and I, all of a sudden I turn over and here's a nice, like, 130-inch buck drinking water and then another one's head was down in the water and when it picked up I'm like that's in that's you know no doubt about it and and shot him so it's uh I got it all on film it's it's actually one of the coolest uh lighted knock shots I've ever filmed I call it the green streak of death so it's uh I think eventually people are going to get to get to see that in action but it 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 was uh definitely rewarding so what did big boy score um he was right at 140 just uh you know just i think just under but definitely a, a respectable deer and plus you know and yeah, even I would though say I for, Wisconsin... for, yeah for for a guy who's got 10 acres to hunt you know you you're not going to sneeze at a 140 you know yeah well the thing <laughs> is the, the thing is a lot of people here you know, people hear Illinois and they think, oh, well, you know, that's a that's a giant buck state. Or even when people hear Iowa, but, you know, every state has certain sex areas that are definitely more known for top end. And the county that I lived in, we have good numbers of deer and we have respectable deer. But, you know, I think nowadays that, you know, appreciation of, what something scores has gone up dramatically because of the size of some of the stuff, you know, people are shooting. But for my area, I mean, if you can shoot a Pope and young deer, you know, you're, you know, you're one out of 10 or 15 guys in the area that are going to do that in a year. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big feat. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm super pumped, Mm -hmm. super pumped with it. And so, so, you know, you know, I like what you said about the water too. I was thinking as you were talking, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier about how, you know, you, you want to hunt that limiting factor because like you said, when those acorns start to hit the ground and man, you just don't see deer out in the open anymore and you're, you're hunting your plots aren't productive and even being in the woods, like I said, you know, if you got a couple hundred oak trees in the area and they're all dropping, you know, the deer don't really need to travel, but by putting that water right along a, 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 you know, an established deer travel route, you kind of tip the odds in your favor because now they've got the acorns right there and the water next to it, and it's like, well, that gives them a little bit of an incentive to pick that oak tree over the other ones. You know, all the acorns yep. are more or less the same, but one tree's got the water next to it, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that's really important, if you put in a, if you, put in a you know, a man-made water source, always get like a limb or a stick and put it in the in the the water and then run it out onto like a neighboring you know i always try to set it to where it's right by like the crotch of a tree or something to where i can stick a limb from the water up to the crotch of that tree because if you don't do that you know birds squirrels rat you know any a lot of things are going to come use that water and uh, if you get, that's more or less an escape route. So it's going to keep your water from getting, getting, you know, tainted if it, if something falls in there and, you know, and dies. So, you know, make sure you have that little escape route 
for something and and it'll definitely keep your water fresh you know what i mean yeah it's a good tip so so what else did you do you said you know i think you said you basically tagged pope and young caliber bucks three years in a row and two of them directly related to this water gambit that you were running what was the uh deal behind the third buck were there some other tricks of the trade the third, that you were employing there well the third buck actually this the let me think it would have been the first the first and the second buck it's been the last three years um the first buck boiled down to pressure um you know i had I've, i have two neighbors um, that I can actually see from my, you know, see from my house. And, uh, they just, you know, they like dirt bikes. They, you know, they like to, they've got dogs that kind of run around and, and, you know, it boiled down to, you know, mature deer don't like pressure. You know, they don't like dogs. They don't like dirt bikes. They don't like, you know, they just don't like all that stuff. So, I mean, it, it you know, it seems a little bit, uh, crazy but you know once august rolls around you know our rules are you know if it's nighttime we close the blinds you know we don't like lights you know beaming out the house and and uh you know we don't uh we don't go out screaming around the yard if there's deer out in the food plot and stuff i mean you know you keep the pressure down and uh that first buck um really came from I had, I was actually over in Europe doing a bunch of archery promotion stuff, and I was gone 30 days. So when I came back, um, literally my house had been just, you know, totally shut down. No one had been there, nothing. I mean, we were totally unoccupied at that home for 30 days. And when I came back, I thought, well, I wonder if there's been any deer around. And I kind of just walked around my food plot that first evening that I came home. And there was a big old scrape. And and it was only like maybe 20 yards from the from the stand uh, that I have there. So the next morning, got up and went out there. And, you know, literally right as first light was coming, I look and just, you know, here's this massive buck just coming right down the food plot comes right to the scrape and you know goes to refresh his his scrape you know there's a bunch of frost in there and and uh i smoked him and i mean that deer was you know like 165 inches so that one was you know a, a megatoad and that's awesome man the biggest deer i've ever seen in that whole area and you know and and you know a big deer like that you know he was probably six and a half years old they just you know if there's any type of pressure they're you know you're just not going to see them much you got to just you know you got to keep that pressure down and you know letting your dog run crazy all the way around your 10 acres all the time is not going to help things or you know running dirt bikes around and i mean the thing is if you if you have a family and that's part of your family's everyday routine, well, you know, that's understandable. You can, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere, but you know, if you're uh if you're, you know, not a, a big family person or if you're, you know, single, then, you know, you definitely have increased your odds to make a, a smaller piece like that work really well. Mm-hmm. So what are some other tips, John, that you might have? Obviously, uh 
considering the date, you know, folks have anywhere from uh, a month to six weeks or so, probably until most of your archery seasons are going to open up, you know, give or take the first of October. Um, what should guys be doing right now? Obviously, getting to be kind of a sensitive time because you don't really want to, at this point now, start running around too much in, in your hunting areas and, and monkeying around in there uh, with a relatively short period of time. But are there some things that people ought to be doing, in your opinion, right now? Well, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, for me, I've I've been, uh, you know, trying to transition to my new place here in Iowa. And, uh, you know, the season here opens about two weeks later than what I'm used to in Wisconsin. So uh, maybe my timing's a little off, but I'm kind of still on the same track. I mean, I just spent like two or three days putting in, putting in food plots uh, and then... Really, this weekend now we'll we'll start my routine of you know getting stands out there. Um, you know, I really think I think uh, it's super important. Even if you have a stand that's your favorite and it's always there, you know, you're crazy if you don't go out there and you know check the straps or you know replace the straps if you got screwing pegs. You know, if they start to grow in there, you need to get rid of those things. I mean. You know, unfortunately, you and I both know, you know, too many people a year that uh, that have an injury from a tree stand. And, mm-hmm. you know, right now is the time of year where we can protect ourselves and, you know, and, and uh, you know, give our, our loved ones what they deserve. And that's the comfort of knowing that we're not going to be, you know, reckless out there. So, I mean, right now is the time to check your stands. And how how long in advance of opening day, John, do you like to pretty well have like all your existing stands checked out, new stands placed, shooting lanes trimmed, that sort of thing? What's the good balance for you between you know getting it done early enough but not too early? Well, if you're if you're owning property where you're fortunate enough to not have to worry about people stealing your stands and stuff, then now is the perfect time. I like. I usually really like things to settle down for a full month. I mean, I've I know my areas that are most likely um, going to be good from Wisconsin, but here this is a total fresh start for me. So I'm almost like the average guy that you know went out and got permission on a place to hunt, and now you've got to do what it takes to get a good deer. Um, you know, I got to, you know, obviously look at maps, determine where the best place is to put some stands. And, you know, I really like to, uh, I really like to have two stand options on every food source that I'm hunting, you know, just so that if I do know of a, a good animal frequenting a food source, I can have flexibility if the wind changes because it's going to, um, other than that, you know, if, if I'm hunting a place where I, where I guess I would have to worry about my stand, uh, you know, getting taken, at least go in there and get up that tree and clear your lanes, you know, get your lanes cleared, uh, you know, make sure you've, you know, if there's noisy bark or whatever on there, you just get rid of all that stuff now and literally have everything prepped mm-hmm. uh, for, for when you're going to go in there. Because even if you use a climber, you know, go in there and get that shale bark off, you know, trim the 
trim where you need to. Maybe, you know, if you like having a bow hook up there on your favorite tree, you know, get all that stuff in there. Get fresh bow ropes put on your stand so you don't have to try carrying your bow up when you climb. I mean, all that stuff I do right now. And I also, you know, now is the time to have cameras out. And, you know, and I do bump my cameras around to different places because, I would rather let my cameras take inventory for me than putting pressure in there. So, you know, I'll put my cameras out for about a week and then I'll go and take inventory of, you know, what I got. And if, you know, if I kind of got a flash of something good, I'll probably keep that camera remotely close to where I can, you know, maybe try to figure out what's going on. But if I'm not getting good pictures, you know, I'll move that camera and, you know, and just put it into a new area. And, you know, as long as you're not in there checking your camera every single day, you know, mm-hmm. because, again, it boils down to pressure. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, I'm kind of curious about. And uh, obviously, if you're going in to, you know, set a new stand or check a camera or set up a, a camera or that sort of thing, um, are you wearing like the tennis shoes that you cut the grass in or what kind of a scent control odor management kind of regimen are you following even at this time of the year? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm probably not going to go out and totally sweat up and stank up my, my, uh, my hunting camo, but you know, I don't think there's any problem with, uh, you know, taking, taking a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and, you know, putting them through a wash with some dead down wind or something and then you know just wear your normal your normal hunting boots and spray them down and go out you know i i definitely take you know some some precaution um you know i'm not going to go out there you know fully fully locked down in my in my hunting attire you know because then i'm just gonna you know probably overload it with with you know sweat and odor right now because it's i mean it's 90 something degrees here sure but you definitely you definitely take some precaution you don't just traipse out there in the the same shoes that you're driving the truck around in or whatever yeah yeah i mean i think you know i think we're really starting to get close now we're you know we're we're within a few weeks of some velvet coming off and you know i just know that deer you know their demeanor really changes once that happens i mean that that's kind of the trigger and you know, years ago, I used to raise whitetail, and so, I mean, I've I've bottle-fed bottle fed whitetails and, you know, been in close proximity to them and learned what they're, what they're like, and, you know, it's definitely uh, a big demeanor change as soon as that, that velvet comes off, and, you know, they they start to realize that what time of year it is, and the, the mature bucks, the three-and-a-half-year-old bucks are they're going to really start to, you know, push their movement time back and, and, uh, and they're going to start to be a lot more leery of some of that, you know, those foreign things. So, you know, you definitely need to start taking precaution right now, but, you know, get the, get your stands out there right now, get your lanes cut so that, you know, stuff can get acclimated to that because, you know, I know that deer, you know, those, those pieces of timber, that's their, their living room. You know, if, if your wife has a big old, uh, banana plant in the corner of your living room and, you know, one day you walk in and that thing's not in there, you're going to say, well, where'd the banana plant go? You know, they, they do take, they do take notice of that stuff. If it's, 
if it's freshly done. So, you know, give them time to adjust to it and, uh, you know, get yourself ready. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm curious a little bit more about how you use your trail cameras. Um, obviously, you're running them now. Do you run trail cameras right through the hunting season, John? And, and if so, um, you know, where do you think the real value of your trail camera images lies? I mean, do you use them to put a sort of a hit list together preseason and then try and monitor those same bucks in season? Or do you use them more in season just to see if maybe a new deer has come into the area or try and detect just general, you know, ups, ebbs and flows in deer activity and that sort of thing? Well, I, I definitely use them probably, I wouldn't say I use them the, the most now, but I, I definitely use them in the same spots the most now. And then again, I'll use them in the same spots the most after season. And it and it 100% boils down to inventory. You know, late season is the time to take inventory. You know, deer herd up. You can definitely see what bucks made it. Um, you know, you can have a good idea of what your following year is going to be like. And then preseason, obviously, you know, are those still deer in your, you know, are those deer still in your area? Once their velvet comes off and those dominant bucks start to kind of branch apart and and claim their own dominant area, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a new deer? You know, chances are two, three weeks from now, you're going to see a deer that you haven't seen because he's going to be a deer that was on your neighbor's property. But now that he's splitting off from from his, you know, group of bachelor bucks, he's moving into a new area to claim as his own, and, you know, and that's going to be a new deer that you see. So, I mean, it's it's important to run those things all the way up till season, but once season starts, you know, checking those cameras starts to be, you know, pressure. And, you know, I'll definitely taper it back, at least on my own properties, if I put cameras anywhere, it'll be in the spot where, you know, maybe I've been wanting to hunt a certain location, but the wind has just not been right the whole time. You know, you can maybe slip in there midday, put a camera up, leave it in there, you know, for a while, and maybe the next time you go into, when the wind is right and you go in to hunt it, do your hunt, pull your card, pull the camera, and you know, and get out of there. And then at least you'll know uh what was there and actually um i've been really successful by if there's an area where the wind hasn't been right or won't be right for some time like for example i've got places that i set up specifically for an east wind or a south wind and those aren't very common winds for us but they do happen and when they do you don't want to skunk out your normal spots because the wind's wrong, so you kind of need to have that backup plan for those, you know, those two crazy winds that happen. And a lot of times I'll have cameras there, and what I'll do is when I go into that stand, I'll pull my cards then because I always carry a card reader in my backpack, especially if I know that I'm going somewhere where I've had a camera out. And I just pull that card, get up in my tree stand, and, you know, while I'm sitting there waiting for time to pass, you know, I'll flip through and review all the pictures. So... Uh, you can, you know, then you can say, oh, dang, there's been a buck here every night at like, you know, 515. Um, and then one season is really, if season's going and I'm going into areas that I've never hunted before, um, and actually you and I talked about me doing an article on, 
on this tactic. Uh, uh, it worked. The, the commando deer hunt? Yeah, the commando recon. I mean, we're probably giving it away because I still think that's a cool article because, I mean, I bagged, I think, three bucks out of state last year. All right, let me let me let me let me just set the stage for this for the listeners, okay. and then you can. This is basically like, you know, Rambo deer hunting, where you know we're up at ten thousand feet, and John and I are, you know, we're in the troop transport plane, and we're over enemy territory, and we've got our parachutes on. We're basically going to jump out, we're going to hit the ground, and within you know lightning speed, we're going to recon this place, figure out just the right place to hang a stand, get in there, kill a buck, and get out before anyone ever knew we were there. Here's well, how, you've got here's the, how you, you do it. You've got the commando cargo pants. You're, you're going shirtless. You, oh, got you, the you, know I look, you know I'm looking pretty buff, too. <laughs> you got the Macho Man tie strap so that your veins are, are kicking it, right? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, the cigar, I mean... Then that's and that's really how you have to do it if you're gonna if you're gonna do the commando recon right. You have I mean, you have to go that way. And so so we so we're all decked out that way and uh and we hit the ground and we do what, John? All right. Well, I think we gotta scratch that. Cause that that well, I don't think it'll work. We should go back to the way I do it. Uh, you don't. You think if I don't wear a shirt, it, it, we're not going to get anywhere? Well, we might. I mean, be, you never. Be, you're telling me it's going to be too distracting for you, is what you're telling me. So you, yeah, it'll be a really little. Be able to focus on the hunt. Yeah, because I mean, when you if that six pack staring at me, I'm gonna. I mean, I've wanted one for my whole life. So <laughs> I'm gonna be... Yeah, you and me both, brother. <laughs> Let, let's let's get back on track here. How do we kill a deer on this new property? All right. Well. Here's what I do, and this, and for me, I always put in, I put in for, you know, I've been fortunate in Wisconsin, I've killed a deer very quick, I mean, within three or four days each year, and then from there, I only get one tag, and that's part of why I'm moving to Iowa, one tag with a bow is, you know, that, that really puts a damper on things, because now the rut's coming, and you know, you need a place in the Midwest to hunt. So I always put in for Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, and then I can buy an over-the-counter tag in Minnesota. So what I do is normally when rut happens, I mean, I'm literally going from one state to the next trying to, you know, to get to get a whitetail. And what's been really successful this past year, I went into Kansas. I was in totally unchartered territory, and I did the commando recon. And what it is... When I have I have my little commando pack, I've got like my Badlands duffel bag, and in that bag I've got three of my three of my trail cameras. And uh, typically, before I go to an area, I'll I'll print off a an aerial map, and you know I'll literally think, okay, well these are the three most obvious locations, you know whether it's a funnel, whether it's a neck down, whether it's a food source, and I'll literally number those those areas one through four i'll pick four spots that are my most obvious spots and you know i'll number them one through four you know one being my you know this is a spot i think is going to be the best it's basically just it, a, quick, a quick gut check of your four best yeah, guesses it's it's a you know it's a coin toss it's you know this is just based off what i know as a hunter 
these are what I think. Or even if, or even if you're going to an outfitter and he says, okay, here's your, here's your options. This is where I think you should go. Well, wherever he tells you you should go, you need to right away go out in the middle of the day before you get on your stand and put a camera in those other three spots. And what I do is I'll hunt my preferred spot two full days. After this, after the two days, if I'm not, you know, you if I'm not happy, out. yeah, if I'm not happy with what's going on there, then it's, then what I'll do is I'll go and pull all those other cards and review them. And literally, you know, you're letting those cameras be in those three places for you you know, at that same time. I mean, you know, there's going to be limitations. If you're hunting with an outfitter and if you're not at a spot, he's putting a hunter there. Well, you know, you might have to ask the guy if it's cool having a camera in the area, but most of the guys are going to say, well, heck yeah, we need to know what's going on. But in my situation, I wasn't actually having my cameras where other people were hunting. And in Kansas, I hunted a spot that was, it was great. And I saw some deer and I, I probably would have stayed there, but I went and reviewed two cameras and actually saw one camera had a great buck on it. The other camera had, like, three good bucks on it, and they were all just cruising through this area. The one area that I was hunting was kind of a transition area between food sources. Um, the area where my camera was that, that had the best photos was just in a natural bottleneck. So, I mean, it was rut, and those those bucks obviously weren't wanting to, to pop out in the open, so they were using that little bottleneck in that, you know, little thin strip of timber that was, that was necking down. Mm-hmm. So, literally, I told my camera guy, you know, that's where we need to go, dude. You know, so we, we literally went in there, threw the sets up, um, and, you know, got on, looked at what the wind was going to be doing, you know, put the sets in the right wind direction, r- literally right from where the camera was facing. And uh, we got up in there, and that next morning at, like, 1030, I shot, you know, a, a giant. I mean, it's 160-something-inch buck. So, I mean, literally the cameras did the homework for me, and it's... That's a great tactic, it's wor- you know. For, yeah, it's worked tactic. in... It's worked several places, and yeah. uh, like I'm, Illinois was actually two weeks before that, and I did that same exact thing. And what was kind of a what was kind of a little bit of a downer on that one was the wind had changed, so I couldn't hunt my number one spot. So I actually went into my number two spot, and I figured, well, when I go in there, I'm going to go ahead and pull this camera card and then get in my stand, right? So I, I go in, I pull the card, I get in my stand, and uh, and actually my wife was with me. She was filming me, and I, I start playing back the pictures, and I, like, go back, you know, I go back to what was the most recent picture, and obviously it was me walking with my, with my bow, kind of doing the, you know, the Bigfoot thing. And then literally I click back, and two minutes before I had tripped the camera, like a 140-something inch bucket walked right past it. Mm. So, I mean, it was a little bit of a downer. But uh, the thing is, we ended up, 
there was several bucks that had been traveling that it had the most traffic and we had luck there you know it was it was a day later we knew you know we stuck with it and and i got a good buck there but uh you know and what's fun i didn't get the the one that that had just uh beat me a couple minutes in front of me um but i did get another one that was respectable so i mean those cameras during the rut can really be your eyes in multiple locations yeah and that's a great tip for even guys that are you know traveling for outfitted hunts because you know i mean we've all been there you know you're basically hunting on a, a property you've got a five or six day hunt and you've paid two or three thousand dollars for this hunt and um uh, you know you can only be in you can only sit in one tree at a time yep yep um but if you throw a couple cameras in your duffel bag when you're getting ready to head out for these hunts you get there and do exactly what you know you just described you're going to be able to get some fresh intelligence every single day or two that may you know really maximize the value of that hunt that you've saved up you know for a year or two to go on um could easily make the difference in going home with a nice buck or going home empty-handed because let's face it even on the greatest properties john five or six days is a crapshoot with weather and wind and all the variables you know i mean it's it's why we call it hunting so yeah i mean i've i've been at some of the places you know in pike and adams county illinois that are notorious for good deer and i've had you know i've literally come in a couple you know, one or two days behind a great friend that's been there and that's had amazing luck. And then, or I've come in, you know, a couple of days ahead of someone that's had amazing luck and I've been the guy right in between, um, you know, and that's sometimes that's the, the downside about, you know, about going to some of those places. It's all about timing and weather, but, you know, and a lot of the good outfitters now, are doing that i mean you know times are definitely changing and the outfitters the outfitters now know we have more repeat customers when our customers leave with something and you know and i think these guys too like to be able to have a big old you know portfolio of here's all the bucks we've taken or these are the bucks that are in this property that we've got pictures of so i mean yeah most outfitters do it not all of them do it while they have hunters there so just you know have that as an option because you know i'm i'm certain i'm certain it'll uh it'll reward you mm-hmm. well i'll tell you what john we've uh covered a pretty good amount of ground today and uh, you know your success speaks for itself in my mind you know i mean not everyone knows you you know like i do and sees all the pictures that you'll send to me throughout the course of the fall and sort of started to make me turn green by the time the season's over because I'm spending too much time behind my desk here and you're sending me pictures of all these whopper bucks that you're killing but uh there's some things well, here that guys honest, can use <laughs> you know yeah well to be honest I mean we we probably both have uh the same amount of food on our plates but uh you know I just really try to uh you know, for the for the amount of stuff that I was fortunate enough to take last year, you know, I probably put in, you know, half of the time of most of my good friends that are that are also good hunters. Um, but you know, sometimes it, I feel a little bit guilty when a guy comes up to me and says, you know, he's he's hunted you know 180 hours in a tree last you know last season, 
because you know I certainly don't. I you know I try to be more efficient with the time that I have because you know we're all busy and we all have to pick our our windows and you know making the most of that valuable limited time is really what it's all about. Yeah, it's like what I like to tell my wife all the time, right? You know, don't work harder, work smarter. Yep. So that's the name of the game in life <laughs> and in deer hunting. Hey, listen, before I let you go, buddy, you mentioned something earlier about some video and people getting a chance to see some of the critters that you've killed in the last couple of years. You got something brewing there on the video side of things? Yeah, there's uh there's there's definitely something brewing right now on the on the home front. Uh, you know, there's going to be a a brand new uh project here that's going to be launching and it's going to uh I can't I can't really give too much of it away, but all I can say is uh, you know, I think the Sportsman's is going to be uh premiering this thing for me. You know, I think uh, right right at the first quarter, it's it's looking like tentatively it's going to be Friday nights at nine central. Uh, so hopefully, all that pans you're talking, out. You're talking about a brand new bow hunting show on the Sportsman Channel. Brand new, brand new, and and totally new. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of there's already a lot of people making good shows the way we're all used to watching them. But my plan is to do something you know, a little bit different and it's gonna it's obviously gonna have some cool hunts. It's probably not gonna be as uh as perfect as some of the film crews out there, but it's definitely gonna incorporate a lot of the things that that help me uh fill tags and and uh we're gonna try to incorporate some you know, some of my background as a competitor to, you know, shooting tips. Um, also some, you know, there's going to be a segment called field recon that's going to, you know, cover things like, like what we, like some of the things that we talked about today, you know, what, what one thing that I did different on that hunt that made it work out or, you know, what, what, what's something you can do on a hunt to, to make it better for you or not, you know, make sure you're, you're trouble free. So it's going to incorporate a lot of things, but it's also going to tie in some rock and roll and uh you know it's going to be fast paced uh good music and uh i think all the the new up-and-comer you know diehard archers out there are going to really enjoy it because i really think archery and bow hunting is just really starting to evolve here in the last five years i mean we've got so many people that are lifers to archery and not just the weekend warrior they're you know they're they're lifers they're in the archery shops right now they're practicing they they were in the winter leagues you know and they're preparing you know it's just you know it's it's great to see and that's what this show is going to be all about catering to to that type of that type of athlete or or hunter well that's awesome you know there's a saying it definitely applies to you john and i like to say it to people you know when people are kind of trying to figure out like well where does this whole bow hunting thing like fit into this guy's you know deal and what I like to tell people is it's not what I do it's who I am you know what I mean and I think that's kind of what you're talking about it's 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 a lifestyle it's not just something that we mess around with 
on the side. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that is awesome. There you have it, folks. John Dudley. I call him Dud the Stud. You can read him in Peterson's Bow Hunting. You can watch him on bowhuntingmag.com with his professional shooting tips and soon to be star of the screen on the Sportsman Channel. So looking forward to that project, John, and uh, hopefully maybe even having a chance to uh, be a little part of it and join you on some of those hunts. So thank you so much. Yeah, that'll be good. Thank you for your time. Uh, I, like I said, I know there's some things here that guys can glean some of these tips and hopefully punch some tags. And uh, before I let you go, John, real quick, just tell the folks how they can get in touch with you if they want to uh, follow up maybe with some questions or see some of the photos of these deer that you've killed in the past and, and uh, you know, just kind of follow what John Dudley's doing in the archery world. Well, uh, probably the best way to contact me, you could go to dudleyarchery.info, and that's kind of my uh, information station, I guess. So um, that's probably the best place to start right there. And, uh, you know, if you need to email me or whatever, you can do that through the contact. And, you know, there's also a lot of uh, free articles on there, PDF articles on a lot of shooting tips, shooting form. Uh, pretty much everything I put on paper. It's just my way to give back to the sport that's given me so much. I, every day I can make one person be a little bit more successful with his bow is a, is a good day for me, I can tell you that. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the work that you've been doing with me here at Peterson's Bow Hunting and uh, look forward to a successful season for both of us this fall. and doing some more good things together in 2011. Take care, buddy. Thanks, man. We'll talk at you later. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio with editor Christian Byrne. For more information on this and other topics, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.